We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. We're talking observations from week one of the preseason and surprising projections on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at RotoViz. I'm joined tonight by Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. This is RotoViz Radio. Week one is in the books. Uh, what's going on, Matt? A couple things. One, this is my third show in a row, so I'm on a hot streak. Nice. And then uh, second of all, uh, week one of the preseason, just wanted to, okay. to clarify in case there were some people caught in some sort of time warp, didn't want them to think that uh, they you know, they were listening to week one of the regular season. <laughs> right. We still, we still have a, a ways to go till daylight. Yeah. Uh, so I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. And I should mention, uh, in case I forgot, we are brought to you as always by the FFPC. Uh, I'm just getting so excited about getting into these drafts getting the season rolling i did not play any uh preseason dfs although i kind of wish that i had uh any observations for you matt uh from week one that you feel are uh things noteworthy for us to bring up yeah so uh one big one is andrew luck actually threw the ball uh he played uh a decent number of snaps with six for nine he looked like his normal andrew luck self you know, so, uh, I think that's good news. Obviously, we want to see how his shoulder responds and how he does in, you know, the future preseason games. But, uh, I think he basically is back to being Andrew Luck. Uh, and, uh, obviously we might get into this a little bit when we talk about your projections. Yep. If Andrew Luck actually is back, uh, I think, you know, historically he's been a top five fantasy quarterback when healthy. So, uh, that's something just to keep an eye on. Uh, another thing. That, uh, you know, caught my attention was the performance of the rookie quarterbacks. You know, I feel like for the last six months, you know, ever since, uh, five first round rookies, uh, were drafted, the news, uh, in the NFL has kind of been dominated by these guys thinking about how Sam Darnold is going to do, how Baker Mayfield is going to do. And, you know, Baker Mayfield, I thought looked awesome. Uh, I am very optimistic on, uh, the offense there for the Browns. Regardless of whether Mayfield actually starts the season, yep. um, as the starter, uh, Sam Darnold, I thought looked great. Josh Allen looked very Josh Allen, like throwing the ball 70 yards down the field for an incomplete pass. Right. And people on both sides of like the, the Josh Allen spectrum were like very excited by that. Either like, yes, incomplete, totally called it. Or like, did you see how throw, how, how far he could throw that? So like, you know, I thought the, uh, the rookie quarterbacks were very interesting. Um, so those were like the two big takeaways for me, uh, with preseason action. 
Yeah, I mean, a, a couple of points there. I think that uh, with the Andrew Luck playing and being able to throw, it's one of those things that is easy to kind of just miss as not being relevant. But, uh, I mean, I do think that this is an encouraging sign, and it is signaling the fact that uh, if you were going to pass on Luck, I don't know. At this point, I'm kind of feeling like, uh, you know, there's a lot of signs pointing in the positive direction for him. And as you said, if he does play, I think that you can expect a very strong season. Historically, we know that he's been great. He's a good quarterback. Uh, we'll see what continues as the preseason moves along. But I do think that is noteworthy, even though it might seem like something that's not real news. Uh, the other quarterbacks were pretty good. The Josh Allen, you have to enjoy the uh, play where he ran 15 yards backwards and just looked like a complete uh, incompetent rookie. But I thought the real storyline, for me at least, was how these um backfields where we have a veteran and a rookie coming in trying to challenge shaped out. Uh, also, this is interesting. So we're trying to do another one on video, and I get to see Friedman smirking here at, uh, on the other end while he's listening and perusing his computer. Yeah, well, I'm looking at stuff on, on Twitter, so, you know, that, yeah. that's what's happening right oh, now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but so uh, obviously you have the Darius Geis injury. Which was a huge blow, and uh, you know. It, oh yeah, um, yeah. Good point. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. There, totally forgot about that. It was massive. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for me, obviously, this is a huge blow to what you would expect getting from that running back position. Uh, what you might have had from Geis, but I do think that P. Ryan's probably going to take over. But this team's going to have to rely more on Chris Thompson now. Although there does look like Thompson may have some uh, health concerns. But Matt, do you think there's any chance that Rob Kelly can get in there and challenge P. Ryan? Or do you think the backfield really is P. Ryan's? Uh, fit Rob Kelly, which is what they're now calling him. Oh, um, my gosh. Maybe. Uh, I don't I don't know. Um, just to, to back up for a second and talk about guys, not to sound like uh, an opportunistic uh, jackass. Yep. But um, the one silver lining on this is that uh, his dynasty price just dropped yeah. So it did. if you're if you're one of those people who really liked him, but you didn't have a top three pick, you now actually might have a shot at getting him in uh, any rookie drafts that are happening later in the year, closer to the start of the season, uh, or you might be able to trade for him uh, for someone who just drafted him and now they don't want to have to go an entire season without getting anything out of their investment. Uh, so you know, in that perspective. Like it, it's horrible for this season, but uh, it means that he's going to be much easier to acquire. In long term, I am still bullish on him. Like, yeah, uh, this doesn't actually change much of my projection of what he might be capable to do in like year two and year three, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And we didn't really get to see it in a game, but it does look like we have some more information now to back the viewpoint that I had and others did that this guy actually can be at least somewhat relevant in the passing game, taking on a role of a receiver, which to me doesn't really come as a shock for a guy that we saw be able to be a great uh, kick returner in college. So we look forward, like Matt said, I think I have to agree that prospects are still fantastic for guys moving forward. And if you can pick him up somehow in Dynasty, I think that you have to try to make that move because I do expect when he comes back, he is going to be one of those guys that really could finish as an RB1, not just next year, but for a couple years in the future. Uh, then we turn our attention toward the Tampa Bay backfield. Ooh, boy. Ronald Jones, rough start, 1.1 yards per carry. I mean, I know it was just eight attempts. It's the preseason, did manage to get a touchdown, but we're seeing more signs that this team is looking to go with Peyton Barber, had 21 yards on four attempts, 5.2 yards per attempt. If they're thinking about Barber as the starter, doesn't look like Jones has done much to help himself out. Yeah, uh, this week I had to bump up Barber uh, in the uh, Fantasy Labs rankings and bump down, of course, Ronald Jones. Um, obviously, you still want to see how the preseason progresses, but I think ultimately it will be a nasty mix of both of those guys yeah. where I, I probably won't want exposure to either one. Yeah, and then the other backfield too, which this one kind of broke in the direction that I wanted, but it really does look like at this point, Royce Freeman's doing everything he needs to do to move ahead of Devontae Booker. There's only so many times that this team can try to make him become a part of the offense, and he can't even get it going in the preseason. Uh, Freeman, four carries, 38 yards, averaging nine and a half. Obviously, that's not going to happen in the season, but he adds a touchdown to boot. Booker, in contrast, goes two 
for seven, three and a half yards per carry. Not that that is a big sample, but it's just another time where he had an opportunity to not really do anything with it. So does this raise Freeman up for you? You have maybe less concern than you would have, or were you not even concerned with Booker to begin with? Yeah, I didn't have much concern with Booker. I probably will adjust Freeman up a little bit. Uh, side note, love the last name. And uh, Big Boy Royce <laughs> is uh, someone who <laughs> was super productive in college, uh, an underrated receiver, especially for someone of his size. Uh, and, and also good athlete, like better athlete than people were expecting yeah. when he entered the combine and showed great agility uh, for his size. So yeah, I think he's someone who provides a lot of value. He's there's this kind of like tier of running backs and where there's a lot of instability there. Yeah. But in, and he's in that tier, but of the the players in that tier, I think he offers the most stability. I think that there's a lot to like and the other thing too is we know now given the last couple of seasons that there's probably going to be one of those rookie running backs that emerge as a very relevant player. And they're not always from that top tier that you might view. So I think Freeman this year right now, it's shaping up. It's looking like he might just be that guy. Any other big observations from the, the, these week one games? One that I had with Stefan Diggs is awesome. Not that we didn't know that, but it's really exciting now to see him having some chemistry with Cousins getting in there already producing. Uh, do you think that we can read into this as a signal that Diggs is going to be the main target in the passing game? Or do we need more information before we rule out Thielen as the uh, target leader? I think it's going to vacillate back and forth game to game. I, I think it could be very matchup dependent. And I think they're going to move those guys across the formation a lot. So, um, I don't know. I honestly, I, I think I feel a little bit safer with Thielen. I think he yeah. might be the guy who has the higher floor and Diggs might have a higher ceiling. Um, if you could be sure that Diggs would go an entire season without getting banged up, I think Diggs would be the guy, but I don't, I don't know if that's actually possible with him. Yeah. So that is one that we will continue to look at, but I do think it was encouraging for the Vikings offense. Anything for you? Anything else, Matt, before we move along? No, let's jump into it. Playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? So I do want to take a quick second to remind you that now is just as good of a time as ever to go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast and sign up for that listeners only 30 percent discount. Not only is it going to give you access to all of our wonderful content and tools, all of our NFL in-season content, which you're going to want, but it also helps support the pod. Make sure that you go on iTunes, rate and review the podcast and sign up uh, and subscribe with whatever uh, app you choose to use. All right. So Matt, you had a chance to look at my finalized projections that I'm going to be releasing on the site soon. There have to be some surprises in there. Uh, what stood out to you the most? So the first one that caught my eye and kind of, uh, I want to run through this position by yes. position. Yes. Um, Tyra Taylor. I think you have yeah. him at, uh, at QB six. Yep. Is that right? Uh, no, QB seven. I would say QB seven. Yeah, he's, uh, he's up to, there. Yep. I have to say, I don't necessarily disagree with that because I think he has so much upside, uh, because of his rushing ability. And yep. I think with the weapons he has there with Jarvis Landry, Josh Gordon, uh, Njoku, I think is going to be a, a very big weapon for him. Uh, yeah. and then also Duke Johnson out of the backfield. Uh, if he's able to play a full 16 game season, uh, I think he has so much upside and he's the late round quarterback that I am specifically targeting. Um, but 276 yep. fantasy points. I'm assuming you're projecting that he plays, uh, I'd say at least 13 games. Um, but I'd be curious what is going into this projection. Yeah. Well, so like in, uh, so I've been on the site putting out, uh, divisions at a time. And in the caveat that I did make was I'm kind of assuming here that the Browns are going to use Mayfield and Taylor fairly similarly. So I went with the viewpoint that Taylor is going to be the starter to begin the season. I expect him to play more games than Mayfield. So I actually was kind of encompassing the two, but we're kind of getting a better sense of what I think Taylor could do if he outlasts Mayfield, which I think some people might write off, but I do think it's a very distinct possibility. You you, know, you give Mayfield kind of like what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. You give him that one season to kind of get some practice in, get up to NFL speed, learn your playbook. Then you turn the keys over after you have Taylor taking you through what I actually think is going to be a successful season. I think this is a team that's going to turn it around. 
uh, and have a strong season. So that's kind of what I was looking at. And the thing that I noticed, Matt, while I was doing these projections is for it, re- it was really reinforced this year for fantasy quarterbacks. You either need two things. You need to be able to approach 30 touchdowns passing or you need to have production with your legs to become a potential QB one. And I think with Taylor really comes down to what he's able to do with his legs, which is why he ended up so high. Okay. Uh, I definitely understand that. Let's talk about Drew Brees. Uh, You have him at QB 14, which uh, I think is blasphemous. Um, (laughs) Just just based historically on what Drew Brees has been able to do. So clearly uh, it, it seems as if you are projecting some sort of change from what we saw, you know, in, in Drew Brees in his first decade uh, in New Orleans. Yep. So, I mean, there's a couple of things, too, that, that I wanted to, to note here, right? Uh, with the way that I'm doing these projections, especially at the quarterback position, I'm not looking and saying, this is what I think that Drew Brees is going to do. As we talked about before, I'm going through that whole team, uh, reviewing each receiver, their expected output, putting that together with the percentage of uh, rushing and passing plays that they're going to get. I'm also looking at the volume. Now, I think the biggest thing with Breeze, really, that's keeping him down this season is the projected passing attempts that I have for the team are 550. If you go back to 2015, uh, 2016, those are closer to 670 targets. So ultimately, what you see with Breeze is that shift in the team to focusing more on running, which I think it makes sense that they're going to continue to focus on uh, running the ball with maybe the best duo of backs in the league, it's going to kind of preclude him from putting up those gaudy Drew Brees numbers that we saw in the past. I think he's going to have trouble getting to those 30 passing touchdowns. The only way he's really going to be able to do that is if some of those shift and they go to the backs. But I mean, also, I guess I would phrase it to you like this, Matt, right? If you look at the receivers on that team, how many touchdowns are you expecting Michael Thomas to have? And if you build down from there, do you really come out to those, you know, 30 or so touchdowns? That's a good question. Um, I will, I will answer that and yep. then pose another question. Sure. Um, I will, I would expect, uh, just based historically on what he's done, regardless yep. of the weapons that he has, that Breeze, I think um, like 23 last year was what he had. That yep. is so low relative to historically what he produces. Okay. But I think, but I I think we'll see him there though. One, I think one, we'll see him closer to 30. I think okay. we'll see him closer to 30. Okay. I, that, I think, I think Michael Thomas will be able to get a fair share. And then is that a cat or a dog that you're getting rid of right there? Oh gosh, that's Phoebe. She keeps coming up. I think this is, so your dog has been in the video a couple of times. Last week, the cat made it into the video. This week, Phoebe is on. I just can't stop her. I don't know what's going on with her. And, and that's a, that's a dog. Yeah, this is a dog. That's, this is Phoebe. a dog. She seems to like the microphone there. Oh, well, that, <laughs> yeah, that dog is does. very cute. Oh, thank you. Yeah. She's at her optimal, uh, length right now so like sometimes when we get her groomed they do it too short and then this is when it's grown in nicely oh is she also at her uh her optimal playing weight she she's ready to go for football season (laughs) she is so actually uh her and the uh and the cat henry they had their uh vet appointment uh this weekend phoebe weighed in at 6.7 pounds so she's up up a little bit because my daughter just not realized that you can feed the dog and she thinks it's awesome now (laughs) uh so anything we don't want her to eat is going directly to the dog the cat though however was told that he's overweight but i always get upset by this because he weighs in at 16 pounds right now his breed of cat is supposed to be heavy uh his lineage his grandfather was a 26 pound cat his father weighed in the 20s so he's actually all things considered pretty light but Mm -hmm. like uh he would be a big bruising running back he's a ragdoll cat as we've talked about before he's got that derrick henry type of frame so i'm not concerned about the overweightness you know he's supposed to have that high bmi sure leonard fournette-esque in in the way that he carries himself yes Uh, absolutely okay Okay. so let's talk about uh but so we should say that the video we didn't actually put it out yet but i'm going to be starting uh and actually, this is something you and I might have to talk about quickly after, but we are going to be rolling out video that's going to be available on the site, probably on YouTube. At some point in the future, we're going to have the episodes up with some graphics over them, video, uh, Rotoviz rankings, stuff like that. Just some cool extra little uh, content. So check that out. We'll have more info on that in the future. 
Okay. So back to the Drew Brees thing. I yes. think Thomas uh, will will have touchdown progression from what he had last year. I think the addition of Cameron Meredith as a as a big bodied guy will be good. Benjamin yep. Watson is a guy who can do a lot of damage in the red zone. Um, and then I think you have Ted Ginn as someone who, uh, you know, I think can add anywhere from six to eight touchdowns in the form of like long splash plays. Yep. I think you add all of that together. I think he can get around 30. The, the big thing is, is he going to have the, the raw target volume? And I think he will. Um, I think last year at 536, that was something of an aberration. If you look at the decade before, just, you know, average all of the, the seasons from the previous decade, he's had 640 attempts per year. Like I would bet you have 550 as the, uh, yep. as the projection. Yep. I would smash the over if we were, <laughs> if we were betting this. Yeah. So, so my question to you yep. is, uh, how, how firm are you with that 550 line? Because I, I want us to create some sort of prop on this. I would say that um, I think that in the setting of my projection, what I'm going for here is what I kind of feel like my my, my best guess kind of scenario is. I think that, sure. you know, given the history, you'd have to set the line higher than that as I'm kind of taking the position that I expect the team to go with an approach that is closer to what they did last season, though. But I think that I, if you set the line at 600, I would take the under. You take the under. I would take the under. Well, good thing you said it at five fifty. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, these are these are different exercises in what I'm doing. I'm not setting a line. I'm creating a set of projections that I feel is going to give people the most use, and uh, that's setting it at five fifty. So, if you were going to put your realistic number, Matt, based off of what we've seen historically, and I will say in the last five seasons, I can tell you that the average for the team is six hundred thirty-seven passing attempts, which, when you look at league average uh is definitely higher than league average by a lot and they've had some of the highest totals in seasons past so with all of that in mind where would you where would you set you know if you were doing this projection the passing volume yeah so you said 637 for the last five years it was 639.5 for the last 10 years um as you said those numbers are super aggressive considering that we did see just 536 last year yep. so Sure, we could, if you want, we can sort of split the difference between that and we could do like, what, what is splitting the difference between that? Like exactly, like around 580, 590, like that's kind of like the, the middle ground. Yeah. So I would, I would take one of those numbers, uh, and, but I would feel very confident in going over on that. All right. I'll tell you what, we set it at 593 and I'll take the under. Sure. 593. Uh all right. If somebody out there wants to tabulate all of these for us, that would be wonderful because I feel like we're probably going to forget these. Uh, we're definitely going to forget these. So I, I will say this to you though, Matt. In my projection, I think that if you wanted to pick on it, the one thing you could look at would be I have a touchdown rate coming up of 6.8%. Last season, he was at six. So I'm expecting an improvement there. However, last five seasons, he has been at seven and a half. So, and, and I should mention because this is probably not obvious, but the touchdown rates that I'm using uh, are a little bit different than what you're normally going to see in that I'm calculating it off of completions because when I was putting this tool together, in my opinion, uh, you only want to look at completions because you're not going to have a touchdown on an incompletion. So I feel like it's more stable and makes more sense if you're using this rate off of completed passes. So you're looking at the touchdowns as a uh, percentage in relation to completed passes. So I would have Drew Brees coming in uh, a full eight tenths of a percentage higher than last year, but definitely down a, a whole uh, percentage point from where he has been uh, in 2016. So it seems like you kind of think that's ludicrous. Yeah, I would regress, uh, or I should say in this case, progress towards both of the means. Like I think in this instance, he throws more passes than he did last year, and he has a higher touchdown rate than he did last year. All right, that's fair. So clearly that was one that stood out to Friedman as a uh, a huge problem. All right. What else do you have on quarterbacks? Uh, maybe Andrew Luck, but I, we mentioned Luck earlier, so we don't really have to talk about him much. But I, I think if he's healthy, um, I think it's some way. I don't, I don't know exactly how that works out, but in some way, uh, he ends up in the top eight. You know, maybe. Yep. Yeah. 
the top eight of fantasy quarterbacks. And right now he's quarterback 15. I'm going to get these posted up on the site, but if you haven't followed along, the, the one thing too we should probably say is that a lot of these players are sandwiched in with very, very similar point totals. So for That's example, yeah. Breeze and Luck and Roethlisberger and Cousins all are right around the 270 mark. And then I mean, Mariota and Goff are only four points ahead. So there's a little bit of context lost in looking at it like that. Good point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, I mean, I think really where it positions him is there's actually kind of a, uh, I would say it kind of puts him like in the second tier. Taylor's kind of on the border. Then we actually had Mahomes, Wentz, Brady, Newton, Rodgers, and Wilson falling into the top tier. The one thing I will ask you about, though, is, is one that I think a lot of people would be surprised about. Jimmy Garoppolo falls down into the bottom quadrant. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have much of a problem with that because as you said, yep. like the, the projections are pretty lumped together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have him projected right around Blake Bortles just behind Ryan Tannehill. So, yep. uh, yeah, that is a pretty sizable, uh, regression from the rate, like the, the efficiency that we saw last year. Well, it would seem like it, but it overall, it actually, uh, in, in, in touchdown, uh, percentages, he actually went up. I think that what you see is there was three pretty solid games last year, but if you offset them with the three first three games, which, you know, you might not want to take that view, but I think that you do need to consider that in there somehow. Then I'm actually kind of anticipating him to have some improvement. Now, the other interesting thing is if you look at his, uh, historical projection where we're looking at what similar quarterbacks would have done in on a per game basis to what he did last season his uh median outcome is around 16.3 points per game which puts him like a point ahead of where i have him but i th- I thought that one was kind of interesting but i will say as i work through the projection you realize absent of garoppolo throwing for a lot of touchdowns which for a team that only had 31 touchdowns last season it would seem hard for him to really boost that total and get into that 30 that 30 range unless he shows that he can score uh with his feet or accrue a lot of yardage it's really an unrealistic expectation for him to finish in that qb1 range moving along let's go to running backs what's notable about running backs is that i really don't have a problem with any of your projections yeah i mean i I don't know if there's actually much to say except i do think that uh uh jordan henry is a little bit it's not, not Jordan Henry, Jordan Howard. That's funny because you have Jordan Howard and Derek yep. Henry right next to each other. Jordan Howard, I think, is a little bit low. You have him like around like running back, I'm yep. not counting this, but like running back 20 ish, 24, something like that, below uh, Tarek Cohen, below Kenyon Drake. I think he should probably be a little bit higher. Yep. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think one of the biggest reasons that, that it kind of worked out that way is I only have him on seven touchdowns. And I think he's one of those players that uh, has managed to push himself up with the touchdown production. Now, I'm curious if I share with you assumptions that I had. So I have him getting 58% of rushing attempts. Do you think that's too low? Uh, yeah. I mean, last year, so last year he had 65%, uh, he had 66 the year before. So this is one of those, as I'm, as I'm kind of thinking about this more, I realize yeah, I probably I might mean, be too I think low. You maybe have to, yeah, I don't, I honestly don't know if they're planning on using Tarek Cohen much in the second running back role. Like, I think they're planning on using him as sort of like yeah. a, a Darren Sproles type of player where his primary function is to catch passes. And, uh, I, I think he will obviously get some carries. But right now you have him projected for yep. uh, 112. I think that's that's yep. on the higher so, side for me. Yeah, it might be. So the the one reason that I ended up there, and I was thinking about this, if we are buying into Matt Nagy, Nagy, however you want to say it, being this this great offensive mind and being able to turn things around, then I think that uh, they're going to have to also run Cohen because it can't be one of these situations unless he's lining up as a receiver where it's so scripted. Teams benefit from also handing off to these receiving backs because if you're always putting them out there receiving, you're kind of losing some of that edge. So that's kind of where I was thinking, but that's one where I'll give you, I think I could be coming in too low on Howard as a result yeah, of that. I mean, I definitely see, I understand the assumptions there. Um, just you're, you're out of line. You're like taking a, a stand uh, against the, the industry assumptions on, on Jordan Howard. Right. Which I guess, see, in my perspective, when I was doing these, I tried to 
take somewhat of a stand on these players because I think too often what you see in projections is people trying to like smooth things out and come out somewhere in the middle. And then basically what you end up with uh, are projections that don't really inform you too much either way. So this is kind of saying at Rotoviz we're high on Tariq Cohen, and as a result, we're coming down a little bit on Jordan Howard, I guess, is, is one way to look at it. I prefer to do it that way and then try to back into things that are yeah. going to be safe. And then uh, one more uh, running back yep. to look at here, and I'd say let's do it kind of in a pairing. Uh, you are on the sure. Aaron Jones side as opposed to Jamal Williams. Um, yeah, I and am, I think yes. like I understand it, but right now – uh, I'm starting to lean more towards Jamal Williams. Like I think, you okay. know, I just I think he's the guy. But it's 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 impossible right. to tell right now, really. But I think he's the guy. It, it it is. So break down for us, I guess, why you've come around to to Williams. So based on the usage that they gave him in the second half of the season, and then based on the way he was used in uh, week one of the preseason, which again is like very minimal. Um, and then also just what's coming out of uh you know, Green Bay training camp, what beat reporters are saying. Yeah. Uh, they say that Jamal Williams is the starting running back. Uh, and we haven't seen anything for the past half season to disprove that. Right. Now, I'm actually kind of really baking in what you might consider to be a pretty large assumption here, going with the thought process here of even if Williams does get that starting role and it's securely his, I don't think that that means that these other backs – notably Jones, maybe Montgomery to some extent, uh, get an opportunity and get in there. And I think that all it's really going to take is a little bit of an opportunity for Jones to come in and prove himself for him to flip the split that they're going to see. So I have him finishing the season with uh, 43% of attempts to uh, to Williams 35. So um, I guess it really comes down to, in some regard too, is if the team really is going to go with a one-back approach or if Williams is the starter, how much involvement does Jones get and is he able to prove and outplay Williams? Because I do think given a, a similar opportunity, Jones will outplay him. I think that's... Um I think that's fair. I don't think he's going to get the similar opportunity. So yeah. I think even if they use him as a third back, what might happen is that he does well in that role and they think that is the ideal role for him. Yeah. And then, and then they might be like, oh, we've got this great situation where we, we use Jones to spell Williams and then we have Montgomery coming in uh, as like a third down back or as like a gadget type of player. And yep. all of these guys are being productive. Why change what is working? Yeah. So I think that does bring up one of the uh, things that you do have to worry about with Jones, which is – in my mind, I think he could be great in the receiving game. But yeah, what if they want to keep Montgomery as the primary receiving back and then Williams and Jones are just kind of spinning, uh, splitting rushing attempts? That would be a bit of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. But those, uh, for the most part, those are the, I think the only running backs that really kind of caught my eye in terms of something where you're, you're really, uh, deviating from, I think the rest of the industry. Yeah. I, and I think that I'm probably coming in. Well, I'll ask you about this while, 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 uh, while you're here. I think I'm coming in too high on Le'Veon Bell, but the main reason being I'm expecting them to just use him so much this season with it, you know, ostensibly being his last in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think that's fair. You, you are high on him. I mean, he's number one in your rankings. I think that's fine. Uh, I think like that's justified. He's not number one in my rankings. I yep. moved him down a little bit just because I'm actually kind of worried about, uh, training camp, like missing training camp and basically having to work his way into shape for the first yeah. month of the season and being a little less efficient and not fully integrated into the offense. So, um, but I understand the idea that they really just might run him into the ground the way the Cowboys did with DeMarco Murray like four years ago. Hello, you play to win the game. All right, so before we get into wide receivers, a quick reminder to make sure that you go and check out our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. The 2018 fantasy draft season is in full swing, and the FFPC has a format to suit every diehard's interest and budget, whether it's best ball or super flex or classic managed leagues. There's drafts filling daily starting at just $35. Jump into a slow or live draft a day. And are you ready for your greatest challenge? Then check out the FFPC. 
PC main event in its 11th season. The main event is the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football. Come to Las Vegas for a three-day weekend of live drafts and festivities at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino, or draft online from the comfort of your own home. Play for the $250,000 grand prize, over $2.2 million in total prizes and fantasy immortality. And I got to be honest, going uh, to the FFPC main event in Vegas. I hate when people talk about having a bucket list, but I actually, or when people, especially when people tell me I need to put something on my bucket list, because who are they to tell me what should go on my bucket list? But this is one of the few things that I actually do have on it. That was excellently curmudgeonly. So we've had the listener leagues going right now on, uh, my FFPC, uh, best ball leagues, and they just released a new app, uh, which I love. So I've been using the app to, uh, do these drafts. So we're having a good time there. So shoot an email to rotoviz, uh, radio at gmail.com to be in a listener league. And then, uh, you can check out the sweet new app that, uh, my FFPC has out. So Friedman, let's roll along. Let's get to wide receiver. Oh man, there are a number here. Oh boy. Um, I'm going to start with Mike Evans, yep. who you have around like wide receiver, maybe 15, something like that in that range. Does that look um, right? Let me see. I'm, 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 I'm looking, the name's pretty far down, so I'm looking for it. All right. So I have him at 212, sandwiched in right around Allen Robinson, a little bit behind the likes of Golden Tate, Brandon that, Cooks, Demarius that's, Thomas. That's running back. Uh, sorry. That's a uh, wide receiver 17. Yep. That, uh, is super low. And, yep. uh, you're, so you're projecting him for, just a little over a thousand yards and six touchdowns. Yep. Um, it's interesting because actually, so here's the question. Do sure. you have him projected for that, but would you draft him higher than that? Hmm. Or is that where you would literally draft him? I think that Evans is a player. I'm just not going to draft. I think where I would have to get him, I don't feel comfortable enough with, and I like other options better. Uh, so I, I guess one of the things we would have to talk about first is I have him slated for 24% of passing attempts. Um, just to put some perspective on this last season, he had 22 in 15 games. The season prior to that, he had 30% uh, in 16 games, but I just don't think that he's going to draw that tremendous share this season. Okay, that's fair. And then, so you're probably interested too. I mean, so the touchdown rate, right? Uh, let me quickly pull up what Evans has done the last couple of seasons. And then we'll look at given the amount of targets that I have going his way, if I have him coming down. Uh, so he has, so I'm actually, you know, giving him, um, Based upon receptions, not targets like some people might do it, I have a receiving touchdown percentage of 8%, which is an increase of 7 uh, from the prior season. Season before that, he had 12.5. Season before that, he was at 4.1. And I will say, so I have him for a wide receiver 1 right in the 50th percentile in total touchdowns. And if we look at uh, receiving touchdown percentage, I have him above the 50th percentile, so closer to like the 60th percentile. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I think just a smidgen low on him, though, especially for. Eh, it, it's hard to quantify this. Yeah. But um, I think his upside is a lot higher than someone like Demarius Thomas, sure. who, who you have ahead of him. I, I mean, I think he has the upside. He's probably the lowest guy on your list who has the upside of actually finishing as the wide receiver one overall. You know what right. I mean? Right. And, and I think this brings up the point that we've kind of talked about before of how you lose a lot of context in projections. And this is why I think that it would be an error on someone's part to just find the expert that they really like and just pull up their projections and only focus on those. Or I think it would be an error for me if I just focused on my projections, because I know as I'm working through these, if I set some of the knobs differently, you know, you're going to see a different outcome. So uh, that speaks to the point again of why I always recommend that people get in and at least play around with the projection machine. Even if you don't go through and do every player, you'll understand how you would arrive at projections for particular players and the things that could shift them up or down. Because I am with you. I can see scenarios where Evans really 
uh, finishes higher than what he's projected at. So there's certain players where when you're working on their projection, you realize they have a more concentrated range of outcomes than you have players, maybe like a um, Evans, where it has a wider range of outcomes. And there's going to be a couple of things I'm doing in the coming weeks. Um, probably not going to sleep until the season starts to get this done. But uh, I'm going to do a couple of things to try to encompass some of uh, that range of outcomes, including um, some of the more subjective processes like these with some of the more objective, like the historical projections. Yeah. So to, to give some context on this. So I think that the interesting thing is that like this projection could be right. Uh, and I still think that it would, it might lead people to draft Evans too low. Right. Like, I would never draft Fitzgerald before Mike Evans, even though, Based on your projections, Fitzgerald could finish higher. It's just because when I'm drafting, I'm skewing more for upside uh, yep. than for what is maybe like the median projection. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole reason too why when I have built my draft tools, I always have people asking why is it built around tiers and not the projections and and people are demanding the projections. They always want it. I have, I've had, I used to have people sending me messages. Oh, this is awesome. I'm going to load in so-and-so's name, your expert, their projections. And I'm kind of like, well, that's not really the way that you want to approach the draft. Because just like Matt said, you need to be thinking about too, are there spots where you're going to go for more upside? And sometimes it's easier to kind of visualize that when you're viewing players in a tier. So maybe Evans and Fitzgerald are in the same tier, but with how you're constructing your team, you want some of their different qualities. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, two teammates because yep. their their situations are going to be tied together. So you have Marquise Goodwin, Yep. Um, as I'm going to say, like probably just eyeballing it, like wide receiver 24 or something like that. Yeah. And then you have uh, Pierre Garcon much lower and yep. I say maybe like wide receiver 40 ish or something like that. Yep. Um, so the assumption here clearly is that Goodwin is going to be, uh, the number one receiver you have him projected for 126 targets versus yep. Garcon with 102. Right. Uh, can you, can you talk about what's going into the projection and are you kind of assuming that Garcon misses some games? Yeah, I'm kind of assuming a couple of things here. Uh, and it's more an indictment of where I think that Garcon is in his career than me feeling like, uh, you know, Goodwin is set to break out or anything like that. Uh, I just am baking in. I think that, um, you're going to have to expect at his age, he had some seasons where he was very heavily utilized. I think that we're going to see him miss some games last season. Obviously, what was the injury that he had? I actually don't remember. Do you know what specific, like in specific, the injury was? Yeah. So, uh, it's a non-displaced fracture of the C5 pedicle. Um, okay. so, uh, a small piece of bone in the neck located just above the skull, uh, was dislodged. Okay. I, I am not a doctor, so I'm not going to prognosticate on what that means, but I do think that that kind of doesn't paint the rosiest picture for his prospects, uh, in the, in the forthcoming season. So it was kind of a mixture of those two things. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the age slowing down and then the injury. I think, I think it's fair. Um, I think they're going to be a little bit closer, um, yep. than where they are projected here. But, um, I mean, the big thing is just taking the stance that it's good when, as the guy you should probably be drafting first versus Garcon. Cause I think that's right. probably the stance that you have, right? That you would, you yeah. would prefer to draft Goodwin first. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if they were available at the same ADP, I would, I would certainly take Goodwin first. And even if I was getting Garcon at a discount, I'm probably not going to roster Garcon. Whereas mm-hmm. Goodwin, there's scenarios in the draft where it's going to shake out where I'll say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take him. You know, maybe if I'm looking for a little bit of depth, I have two solid wide receivers to start. I'll definitely add Goodwin. I'm not saying that he's going to be one of those type of guys I would anchor around because I do think that he has a bit of a wide range of outcomes. But yeah, he, I think he is the guy that you go after and then maybe really, you try to take a shot with Dante Pettis, but I'm kind of just leaving Garcon as one of those players. I'm not going to end up with really on my teams. Yeah. So a couple more guys, uh, Juju Smith Schuster, who is around wide receiver 36, uh, in the industry, he's being drafted normally in the wide receiver two range. Uh, you have him at the, the tail end or projected at the tail end of the wide receiver three range. Um, and notably projected only for 98 targets. I think most people would project for more than that. 
Um, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, so I think that this is one of those, again, where um, I'm projecting what feels like is likely to happen. Having said that, there's a lot of upside that you have with Schuster, and I do think that there's a decent chance that he's able to be very efficient again in um, a manner that you you know you don't want to bake into a projection, but when you're trying to be objective, but my personal opinion is he's going to beat this projection. He's going to be a wide receiver too. I am pretty firm though, however, and actually I got, uh, um, Blair Andrews and I, and I, when I was on the Rotoviz report, got into a long discussion about this, but I do think that it might be challenging, especially when you look at the volume of targets that Le'Veon Bell should be able to consume. You look at Antonio Brown, who very easily is going to get to 30% of targets. It actually could be hard for Juju to get to a hundred targets. If I was setting the over under, I think I would probably set it around a hundred targets. I know a lot of people would disagree with that, but again, there's not a huge amount of targets left there in the last time. So I have him at 17. The last time that a Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver two got near that was um, Emmanuel Sanders back in 2013. Um, so I suppose, uh, you know, if he can get to 19%, then maybe, you know, he gets a little bit over where I have him, but that's kind of where I came out on him. And I will say in my projection for Juju, I'm actually being rather nice to him, giving him 14 yards per rec and a, uh, receiving touch or reception touchdown percentage of eight and a half, which is pretty solid. Okay. One more guy. Let's talk about Chris Hogan. Yep. Uh, who is being hyped a lot in the industry. Right. You have him around uh wide receiver, say like 45 ish around there uh, yep. and projected for 85 targets. Right. Um, I think there has to be a, an assumption in here that he misses some games when he was healthy for the first half of last season. Uh, he was, you know, like a wide receiver one ish, like low end wide receiver one, but like, so, so let's say like a, a, a very solid wide receiver two. Let's yep. say that. Um, he's projected for nowhere near that here. What are yeah. your thoughts? So I think that, um, Hogan is going to start off the season as a wide receiver one. I do. Uh, or I think that he's going to have a stretch where he is a wide receiver one, but I think across the entire season, you're not going to see this scenario where he's one of these players putting up 23 or a target share of 23, 24%. Uh, a major reason for this is I think that the team's running backs are going to be leveraged a lot in the passing game. So I have the backs taking up over uh, 20% of targets. I think that you have to anticipate that Gronk, even with missing some time, given Edelman being out in the beginning of the season, can get around a target share of 17%. Uh, and then when Edelman comes back, there's such a track record between him and Brady that he's still going to utilize him. So when Edelman comes back, Hogan's share is going to go down. So I have him and Edelman both at the 17%. Uh, like I said, I would draft Hogan probably higher than I have him projected because I think you're going to have a stretch where he very realistically could be a top 12 wide receiver for maybe four, five, six weeks. But I think over the entirety of the season, uh, that's going to kind of level out, which again, this is one of those things you lose if you're just looking at a projection, because I think when it's all said and done, um, you're not going to realize that there's going to be those monster weeks um, in a stretch of the season. You know, when you average that out against the games where Edelman's back, maybe they focus more on the running backs. Maybe they focus more on Kronkowski. Okay. Uh, I'm ready to transition to tight ends, if that's good. I'm fine with most of the projections, although I would say personally, I, I think it probably pained you to put Jack Doyle or to see that Jack Doyle was number five <laughs> overall. Um, but that yeah, mean, it, it just like tight end falls off very quickly after those top three. Um, yep. there, you know, there really is a, a quick difference. Um, and so, you know, someone has to be tied in five and you have this tier of guys like Olsen, Graham, Reed, Walker, Doyle. And, uh, you know, some of it is just based on health. Some of it is based on guys getting a little more targets, whether they're actually efficient with their targets or not. Any other tight ends that you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, those are, those are the guys. Although I would say, uh, Unjoku, I think his projection is fine, but I'm, I'm a little more bullish on him just because of the upside he has. Yeah. So, um, just so everybody knows, where did he end up? So you have him around, uh, tight end 18 or so. Um, yep. I probably would be like, he's someone I want on my team. 
Um, but he's going outside of like the top 10 tight ends normally where yep. you're drafting him, but you can maybe get him anywhere from like tight end 11 to tight end 14. Um, and that's kind of, I think more where he belongs, but I think he legitimately has, you know, tight end four, tight end five upside overall. Yeah. So the interesting thing is I have him at uh, 15% of Cleveland's targets, which I think is actually pretty good. Uh, so some of this is probably depending on what you do about Josh Gordon. So I still have Gordon projected like he's going to play uh, a full slate of 16 games. I will update this, you know, in the coming weeks, if that's not clear. And then, so how many touchdowns do I have in Joku on? I have in Joku at five touchdowns. So would you take the over on Njoku getting more than 15% of targets and going over five touchdowns? Uh, I think five is fair, but I would take the over. Um, I'm not going to take a position on the percentage of tu- uh, percentage of targets he gets. 15% is probably about fair, yeah. but I, I, I wouldn't lean much one way or the other. Okay. All right. That's fair. And, and I think just to close off here, he's one of those guys too, I think as far as tight ends go with where he's going now, I, I imagine I will end up with him on a couple of teams. Uh, I do like his prospects because there is pretty good upside. And I, and also, you know, if we have a situation where Josh Gordon, uh, misses time, which, uh, you know, for a multitude of reasons could happen, then I think in joke is positioned very nicely to be one of the top five tight ends, like you said this season. Yeah. I like it. All right. So I think that that's going to close us out for today. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at Matt F. The Oracle. Don't forget to call into 978-925-7628 and ask away with your strategy questions. This has been RotoViz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at RotoViz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage of rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub, salad, or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community. need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.